Thank you, Ken, worship team. Thank you, Amanda. And good morning again, church. So good to be with you, to worship with you. Um, now we're going to open God's Word together. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians 6. And um, let's give you a recap of kind of what we've seen in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters. Uh, Paul is digging into this idea of the mystery of the gospel. Um, although he means a lot of things when he says that, he sums it up as this, that the Jews and the Gentiles are both now one, that those who are not um, of Jewish descent have been invited into the family of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then out of that, this mystery continues to, to, to um, confound us with these profound truths of the idea that um, and Ephesians 1 talks about how we were predestined in Christ before the foundation of the world. Like those kinds of truths are all part of this mystery of the gospel. And then in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul begins to, to say, okay, now that those things are true and we've established that, then what does this gospel look like in everyday life? How does that actually transform us to do things different? And we get something towards the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, which is really our why behind doing things different. He says um, in Ephesians 4 that we are to put on this new self that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, that reference to the garden, that reference to this idea that you and I were created in the image of God, chapter 1 of Genesis, chapter 2 of Genesis, but chapter 3, uh, things get derailed and messed up and corrupted through sin and death. And then in chapter 5, he begins, again, before he gets into the practical living out of the gospel with this call to be imitators of God. This idea that we were created as image bearers, created as imitators of God, that what Adam and Eve did in the garden is that they were imitating God. The way they cared for one another, the way they honored one another, the way they loved one another was essentially they were imitating God. And so now through Christ, that's being restored in us. And so last week we looked at marriage, how in marriage we're given this instruction for wives to honor their husbands and ascribe value to their husbands and to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And husbands are to love their wives as themselves and to sacrificially lay themselves down for their wives, not so they can simply have a better marriage and that everybody will get along, but because that's how Adam loved Eve before the fall. And that's how Eve submitted to Adam before the fall, that that's how we were created, to love and to honor one another. And we also talked about how even though that calling is very specific to wives and husbands, that really everything that the wife is called to, we are all already called to in Christ, to honor one another and to submit to one another in that way. And although the husband is specifically called to love his wife with the sacrificial love of Jesus, really we're all called to love and to honor one another and to even outdo one another in showing and displaying these things. Right? So, so it's not just that wives have been given this instruction, husbands have been given this instruction, go off and have a happy marriage and say, no, 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 no. All, we're all called to these things, but in the context, context of marriage, you have a specific platform and place among creation to display these things in a very vibrant way and so now we're going to turn to this relationship between parents and children understanding the same why that that is compelling us to live marriage in a certain way is also compelling us to parent in a certain way 
And what's interesting is that we're going to see that it seems like Paul wrote this letter intending that children be present in the audience when it was read because he's actually going to address children before he gets to parents. And so in hindsight, this would have been a great Sunday for a family worship weekend. We have some kids here with us and students with us, which is fabulous. But for those of us who don't, like my kiddos aren't in here, they're in the student ministry, like just encourage you to take what God speaks to you home, maybe listen to this together and let your kiddos hear or give your version as a parent to your kiddos on this relationship and not just the what of what you're supposed to do, but really emphasize the why. Let your children know that they are image bearers too. That even in the way they interact with you as parents, they have a specific platform in their calling to imitate God. Now, we're going to get started here in verse 1. And as we do, we're stepping into this conversation about parenting. Um, It's always a little bit uh, nerve-wracking for me uh, to talk about things like parenting in a room like this because I know we have so many different perspectives and views and ways that we do parenting. And, uh, and that's okay. I have two boys, and they're so unique and different that parenting with one doesn't look like the parenting with the other. So I would assume that how you parent in your home is going to look different from how I parent in my home. And I know that we can be fierce guardians of our parenting style, and so it kind of gives me a little bit of, a, of, a, of anxiety to think about me getting up here to talk about parenting and, as though I have it all down. So my goal today is really to let, let God speak for himself, to describe for us parenting and to to kind of lay out a vision for what it could look like and what it should look like. And then if you have a beef with that, you get to take it up with him, not me. So I'm going to do my best to refrain from my personal parenting style and really just call us to listen to what God has to say through his word. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, the call here to obey, um, I want to explain a little bit, because the the root word here in the original language is actually the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 7 when he's talking to all of us. And he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and then does them, will be like a wise man who builds his house on solid rock, and when hard times come, that that house doesn't falter or fall down. The Greek word is a cool. It means to listen with the intent to follow instructions. You you can hear that in Jesus' tone, right? If you hear my instruction and you do it, it's going to go well for you. That's the same root word of this word, obey. It's not just this arbitrary command that when you hear your parents' voice, you just do what is said. It's, it's actually a call to lean in, to be attentive to. Like if you are a child still living in the home of your parents, it's a call to kind of open up your ears and your mind and your heart to what your parents have to say. And he follows that up with, this is right. This idea that this is actually good and it will lead you to what is good. Let's just test this for a minute. So we're not, not everybody in the room is a parent, it's okay, but we're all children. Like not more. Now you're still the child, like you still have parents. They may not even be living, 
but everybody in this room has walked in the role of the child. Now, think of a time when you didn't follow the instructions, you didn't listen to the voice of your parent and do what they said, and it didn't go well for you. If you're having to work really, really hard, you've disconnected and disassociated from your childhood. I was there, I saw you. We have all had those moments where parents give instructions and we don't listen and it doesn't go well. The point isn't that parents always get it right, but the point that is being made here is that when parents give instructions, and we'll get to parents in a minute, for children, the idea is it's leading you to what is good. Like when, when, when a parent from a good heart and a good place says no, that no is meant to lead you to what is better than what you want. Or when your parents give you instruction to do something you don't want to do, the idea is that even though you don't want to do it, if you will go ahead and listen and do it, it will lead you towards what is good, what is right. So it's not just an arbitrary call that when you hear your parents' voice, you bow down and just do it without thinking about what you're doing. It's like, no, you would, you would understand your role is to open up your ears and listen because your parents' ultimate aim is your good. I wonder if we see God that way. Or do we wait until we hear what he has to say and then determine whether or not it's good? See, this is like a preemptive invitation. Open up your ears. Be the pos- allow the posture of your heart. Be ready to listen, trusting that what will come is what is good. Children, obey your parents. This is right. And then, verse 2, specifically a quote from the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. We talked about this last week, but not everybody was here last week. This idea of honor, we talked about it with wives honoring their husbands, that it was this way of ascribing value, saying, hey, you matter to me. You have value. You matter in the world. And so there was a virtue in that of saying, hey, I want to display that you matter, and so I'm going to honor you. That's the same principle is being applied here for, for children to ascribe a fixed value on their parents, not just on the days where you're having fun. And we're going to the fun jump trampoline place, or we're going to my favorite dessert place. It's easy to get excited and to ascribe value to our parents. You're the best. The ice cream running down your face. Sugar high. Your eyes are glazed over. You're the best parents in the world. No, it's fixed value, meaning it doesn't change the next day when you get to chores. That's the idea of honor here. That you would truly honor, ascribe a fixed value to your parents. You matter to me. You have value to me, and what you say has value. Proverbs chapter 1 describes the value this way. Verse 8 says, Hear or listen, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So listen, listen to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Wear their instruction 
with honor. Like you're, you're glad to be their child. You're proud. They have value. Your parents' instruction has value to you. Just like you would wear something that, that means a lot to you around your neck, your favorite necklace, your favorite pendant, your favorite outfit, your favorite shoes. Wear your parents' instruction with that same level of value. Practically speaking, there are different ways we can honor our parents. Speaking respectfully, even when you disagree, even when you become an adult child, still you can speak respectfully to your parents, even in disagreement. Even if you're having to like have hard conversations and draw boundaries, like you can always maintain a level of respect of saying, hey, I'm still honoring you. You still have value even when I disagree. Your parents are probably not going to endorse all of your parenting. They're not going to agree with all your parenting. And you're going to do a few things more than likely different from how they did it. And you can do things different from how they did it without dishonoring them. You can honor your parents, expressing your gratitude for their care in your life. You can honor your parents by also taking care of them later on in life. Some of you may already know this, but not, maybe not all of us. Do you know that's part of your role of honoring your parents? That the Bible calls you to take care of them when they're elderly? Like the church is here. It's kind of like a plan B. If there's somebody who can't take care of themselves anymore, elderly, otherwise unable, then the church is to step in. But the Bible is really clear that the first ones in should be the children and grandchildren. That's part of honoring your parents is is helping to take care of them when they can no longer take care of themselves. 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about this. Verse 4 says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. I mean, think about that. I mean, it's not easy. It's hard, especially if you've got young kiddos or you're not at a place where it's easy for you to do that in life, but it's going to be hard to live this out. It's an expression of godliness. It's an expression of gratitude. It's an expression of honor when you step in and say, hey, I'm going to help take care of you. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that you're obligated to let them live with you. Okay, now that might be the best scenario and that, hey, that works great, but it means that you'll make sure their needs are taken care of. Okay? And, and we should be first in as children, grandchildren. And then when there's, when there's a void, the church gets to step in. And we're all responsible for honoring parents in that way. And so these are different ways we can honor our parents, being respectful, listening and following their instructions, showing gratitude, and then providing and taking care, providing for and taking care of them. What's interesting is, though, we hear, you know, a sermon on parenting, and we're like, well, you know, I'm an adult now, so I'll just check out and I'll just apply all this to my kids. There's a portion here for you in that way. But, like, Jesus doesn't let adults off the hook. You know, as a matter of fact, there's actually a confrontation he has with a group of adult men who had quit taking care of their parents. And these were religious leaders in the day and time. And what they had done is, for whatever their reasons were, they had ceased to, like, care and for and honor their parents in this way. And they would just basically use the excuse, well, we, we donated all of our money to God, so we don't have any left, or we would take care of you. And they thought that this was a valid excuse. 
and, and look just look real quick in Matthew 15 how Jesus interacts with them in verse 3 he says he answered them why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition for God commanded honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die see it's a mistake we make to think that once I'm 18 and leave the home I'm no longer called to honor my parents. It doesn't all of a sudden become the nine commandments. It gets still the ten commandments. And these guys were using their religious tradition as an excuse to get out of honoring their parents. And Jesus calls them out. He says in verse 5, But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. I don't call people that very often. But when Jesus calls somebody a hypocrite, I'm going to pay attention. And he tells us why he viewed these men as hypocrites. He said, here's the hypocrisy. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, of you, when he said, these people, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You men look good on the outside, the words coming out of your mouth sound great, and everybody's following your lead, but your hearts are a long way from me. There are a lot of different ways that we can honor the Lord with our lips while our hearts are far from him, and one of the ways is by dishonoring our parents. Showing up at church week after week, maybe you're in a community group or you're involved in serving and you've got all these things going for you in the Lord. And yet, if you're dishonoring your parents, your heart is far from God. The second part of verse 2 says, this is the first commandment with a promise. This commandment comes literally with a promise in the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother, your father, and your mother, that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. The way that it's written here in Ephesians is this way, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, there's a practical aspect of this that would have caused children's ears to perk up. It's hard to imagine, but at this day and time when this is written, first century, somewhere between 30 and 50% of children did not live to see their 10th birthday. So literally, like, pay attention to the words and instructions of your parents so you can see your 10th birthday. Very practical. Now that still applies today, right? There are things that you're going to instruct your children about safety and their interaction with alcohol and driving, and, and it's to keep them alive. Right, but I think that as Paul is recounting this, I think he even has eternity in mind. This idea of living long is not just so that you can live long enough to take care of me. It's the idea that I'm, listen to my instructions because they're leading you to, the, to, to a long, full life and ultimately to eternal life. That you may live long in the land. And this commandment comes with this promise. Now in verse 4, so verses 1 through 3 is for children. 
We've already established we are all children. Some of us are adult children. In perspective to our relationship with God, we're all children. Okay? Now we're going to begin talking specifically to parents. Okay? Parents. And it begins in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, it could be, the case could easily be made that whatever's being applied here to fathers is, is meant for parents to listen up, and I think that's true. Um, I don't know fully why he's calling to fathers other than dads, like, we need you to lead the way in your household in this. And I think about what God said to Adam and Eve at the fall and what, what husbands or men were going to try to do with their strength. And so this idea of, don't provoke your children to anger. On, on one hand, I read that and I go, oh, okay, so don't walk around the house with a stick just poking, trying to get people angry. Yeah. That's meant by this, but it's more than that. As a matter of fact, if we'll go back to Genesis 3, verse 16, just think about this. What, what this Bible verse is talking about that we're about to read describes what life is like after the fall and how it's different from the way it was before the fall. So verse 16, here's how it's different. First of all, he says to Eve, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. That's different. So be fruitful and multiply was the Genesis 1 command, right? And it, was, it, was, it, it wasn't with pain. So now, because of the fall, there's going to be a pain that you experience in childbirth, in child rearing. But the word pain here could translate, and more frequently translates, as sorrow, grief. Now we're getting somewhere. Eve, as a mom, because of the fall, because sin and death have now entered the story, your childbearing is going to cause you grief. What mom among us has not laid her head down on the pillow at night, at night in grief over one of her children? Some of you, it may have been last night. You walk into here today with some level of grief and sorrow various number of reasons related to your parenting. Eve did not know that grief or sorrow or pain before the fall. And God was saying to her, Eve, things are going to be different now. Every mom who comes after you will experience pain and sorrow in childbearing. The last part of that verse, we read it last week, but I'm going to read it again because he also describes a relationship between Adam and Eve, husband and wife. He says, again, talking to Eve, your desire will be contrary to your husband. There's going to be this conflict. You're going to constantly be working against him, and he shall rule over you. This, again, is a description of life after the fall. That's not how Adam and Eve interacted in Genesis 1 and 2. Eve's desires weren't contrary to Adam before the fall. And, and Adam didn't seek to rule over her, to use his strength against her, to manipulate her and control her before the fall. But now because of the fall, this is what life is going to look like. 
And so as I hear Paul saying to dads, don't provoke your children to anger, I'm thinking about how God described how men were going to operate in the world and operate in their family and seek to rule over people, to use their strength and their position of authority to manipulate and to control. And so this call to not provoke your children to anger is not an invitation to passivity to take a step back and say well I just won't do anything that gets their feathers ruffled so I just need to like step out no 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 it's not a call or an invitation to step out of your position as leader in the home but to do that in a certain way not in a provoking to anger kind of way You're going to be tempted to use your authority and your strength to rule over your family. Some of us will be tempted to shrink back altogether. But this is a call to move forward and to be present, but to be present in a certain way. Then he tells us, as we get into verse 4, the rest of 4 describes this, this different way. Okay, so what, what is it supposed to look like for me to be a parent here, Paul? As somebody who's in Christ, what are, you, what are you calling me to? He says here, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's interesting, and it's kind of hard to see here, this word for bring them up, Paul actually used it like six or seven verses ago talking about marriage. So if you remember from last week, to husbands as he's calling us to love our lives sacrificially lay our lives down he makes a statement and essentially he's calling us to love our wives the way we love for and care for our own bodies and he said like nobody hates their own body instead you nourish and cherish your body so now go nourish and cherish her the word for nourish is the exact same word here for bring up so bring up your children is, is nourish them Okay, it's this idea of like, like having a garden, tending to it, cultivating it. That things that, that pop up in this garden will be healthy and they grow and they bear fruit. And that's the way we're to think. So don't provoke them to anger, but instead nourish their souls. Through what? Through discipline and instruction. Now the... Sometimes there's, there's difficulty when we pull words from like one language into the other. And so this word discipline, we hear that. And sometimes we think punishment. But this is actually a description of instructor teacher or instructing and teaching. Okay, it's that version of discipline, like discipling, disciple making. And so the idea here is, and so instead of provoking them to anger, the idea would be that we would also, that we would then be teachers to them instead instructors to our children what's so important is he's not calling you dads to put together a set of lesson plans and to hold seminars in your household the idea is that your instruction and teaching first of all would mirror the lord's instruction and teaching for you but that it would be more than i just want you to have information you're like paying attention to how your words land and how deep they go like, you're actually trying to cultivate the soul of that child. Now think about that. How many of us can go back to our childhood 
and, and you can remember something that your parents said to you that was hurtful, like one phrase. Maybe you remember more than that. But if you'll spend some time thinking about your interaction, even with the best parents in the world, there were moments that were painful and hurtful. I'm not saying right or wrong. All I'm doing is illustrating how long the words of parents stay with us. Like, dads, your voice, the words that come out of your mouth have a way of sinking deeper into the soul of your child than anybody else. Moms, you're, you're with dad, too. Like, as parents, our words shape and cultivate the soul of the child, and they stay with them, for better or for worse. So instead of provoking our children to anger, we're to cultivate them, to teach them the way the Lord teaches us. It's a helpful description of what this is supposed to look like in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a really popular text for parenting biblically, and I love this text. It's an Old Testament description of what instruction and discipline is supposed to look like in the home. And I just want you to pay attention to this. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. And these words that I command you today, so this is essentially God speaking to households, the leaders of households, parents. These commands that I'm speaking to you today, they shall be on your heart. So in the same way that a parent's words sink deep into the heart of the child, God's saying, I want my words to sink deep deep into who you are, to land on your heart, they should be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Okay, so we need a chalkboard in our house. We need some PowerPoint. We're going to hold lectures. No, look at what's described here. Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It's God's way of describing all of life. So many times we don't stop to instruct, teach, or correct until something bad happens. It's reactionary. This is proactive, preemptive. This should be the culture of your household. Don't wait until your children mess up and then point it out, right? The teaching should have already happened. When you lie down, when you get up, when you walk, when you sit, like, that's when you teach. You're never not teaching. Like, we're never not teaching. It's not like a hat we put on and go, okay, everybody listen up. Dad's got something to say. And then we take it off, and then we can just be clumsy and sloppy and not pay attention to what we're doing. Like God's Word saying, no, parents, you're never not teaching. They're always listening and paying attention. I love this testimony that we get from the New Testament related to Timothy. Um, Paul points out how, how Timothy grew up in the Lord, and I I want to just point out a few of the things that Paul says. So in 2 Timothy 3, if you're following along, I want to write this down. This is verses 14 and 15. 
Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him. He says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, Paul is writing this to Timothy. Paul was an instructor and teacher of Timothy. It almost sounds like Paul's telling Timothy, hey, don't forget I taught you this stuff. Don't forget who taught you these things. Continue reading. He says, verse 15, and how from childhood. So whatever Paul's talking about predates, more than likely, Paul and Timothy's relationship. Timothy learned it from somebody else. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, if you'll back up to way, the way that this letter opens, like the very first few verses, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, this is Paul, I am reminded of your sincere faith, talking to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He's describing Deuteronomy 6. I don't know where the men were, they're absent. Moms, single moms especially, but moms who are trying to do this on your own, when the ideal is absent, there is enough grace for you to step into that role. Okay, this is not God saying men are the only qualified parents to do this. Case in point, Timothy, this young pastor, one of the first guys on the scene, crushing it in ministry, building churches for the Lord. And Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, don't forget where you learned all this. It first dwelt in your grandmother and then in your mother, and now it dwells in you. That's Deuteronomy 6 right there, parents. Timothy became acquainted with the sacred writings of Scripture because in his home, when he was laying down or when he was sitting or when he was walking, his mom and his grandmother were teaching and instructing living it out this next word here is the word instruction so discipline and instruction are the two ways that we're told then uh, to like to to lean into our families to lead our families this word instruction carries with it the idea of admonishment or warning oh so good parents issue warnings okay again Warnings are preemptive, not reactive. It is pulling a child aside and saying, hey, I am for your good. I want what's right for you. So let's have a hard conversation. Before you take the keys and take off driving for your first time, before you go on your first date, before you, like, preemptively, not reactively, preemptively, let me issue some warnings. Now, this is the wrong kind of warning. If you do this, I'll do this to you. Right, that's that, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. Because the ultimate aim of your parenting isn't to make you happy or to make your life easy. We have a, a higher aim we're going to talk about in just a minute. But the warning is like, out of love and kindness for you, I'm going to tell you ahead of time what happens in life. Because I care about you. And for your good, I want what's right for you. So hey, listen, when you do this in life, this could happen. This will happen. It's a warning. 
bring them up, nourish them in this discipline or this teaching and this instruction, this warning, this admonishment. We haven't even really talked about punishment. It's sad that one of the only Bible verses that most Christians know about parenting is spare the rod, spoil the child. It's, it's in the Bible, and in context, it's, it's helpful in parenting. But the, the only thing we learn from that when we pass that Bible verse around is I've got to be strict in my punishment. My punishment has got to be firm enough that it gets their attention and changes their behavior. You can't change character or behavior with punishment. Truly, you can't. Punishment is meant in a controlled environment to teach our children about cause and effect. The goal isn't so the punishment is so severe that finally you'll listen to me. Okay? That's, we, look, we look to how God interacts with us as our example here. You know the most familiar description of God in the Bible is that he is slow to anger and abounding in love. Your children are going to make you angry. And I'm not telling you what the punishments should be for your household. You really, as a good shepherd of your home, need to figure that out. I encourage you to lay that out preemptively. Don't wait till something happens and issue a punishment. That's confusing. Be the good parent. Be proactive. Hey, here's the cause and effect. Let the effect be a small, controlled teaching, right, of, hey, there's a greater harm that could come your way, and I'm trying to help you, like, prevent you from finding that greater harm. So here's a small harm that's controlled and it's in love, but I'll say this, no punishment out of anger and wrath. That is not how God disciplines us. And you're going to get angry. Well, I get angry. Maybe you don't. You're an anomaly. Most of us get angry at, at times. And yes, instruction needs to be given. Warnings need to be reminded. Punishment may need to be issued. Holy cow, give ourselves permission to take a step back. Hey, little Johnny, what just happened was not acceptable. And I want to talk with you about that. But before we do that, dad needs to take a step away. I'm going to give you some space to think about it, and I need some space to think about it. Essentially, I need to get my heart right before I start messing with yours. Discipline, yes. Punishment when necessary. Again, trusting your judgment. You're the good shepherd in your home. Pay attention to your children. I've got two, and nothing that works for one works for the other, except for Xbox. We can take that away. That works, but nothing else works. They're so different. So you've got to shepherd your household well. Pay attention. We don't punish out of anger. We're going to get angry, so we're going to need a minute. Remember, Ken talked about this a few weeks away, a few weeks ago. In your anger, do not, oh, you remember, do not sin. Take a step back, deal with your own anger, then re-engage in parenting. Now let's talk about the why. Parents, we'll come to you last. Kids, back to you. If you're listening online or you're here in the room. Your role as a kiddo to obey your parents isn't so that your parents can have these happy, controlled, peaceful environments. I know that that's the messaging sometimes we send. But your goal is actually bigger than that. It's actually bigger than your parents. 
the goal in obeying your parents and honoring them is because, listen, you're an image bearer. If you're listening right now and you're three years old, you're 10 years old, or you're 30 years old, in being a child, you are an image bearer. And as you honor your parents, you ascribe value to them. You say, you matter to me, and what you say matters. You are mirroring. You are reflecting what we're all called to do in our relationship with God. Children, be imitators of God by honoring your parents. You see that connection? Parents, same thing. You are called to imitate God. You're not going to be a perfect parent. The end goal isn't that you can be happy and that your children grow up to be good citizens and productive. It's not bad to want those things, but the, the aim is higher than that. What's at stake is higher than that. In the way you interact with your children and all expressions of love and discipline and admonishment are meant to be a reflection of God's love and admonishment for you. How kind should I be with my children? I don't know. How kind is God with you? How patient should I be? How patient is God with you? And we're going to falter at this. That's why we're going to need adult timeouts. And when we get it wrong, please listen, parents. When you get it wrong, go back to your children. Teach them what to do with their mistakes by showing them what you do with yours. Doesn't mean that what they did was okay if they disobey. You can say that. Listen, hey, what you did was not acceptable. You broke the rules, however you want to word that. And what daddy did wasn't acceptable either. And the way I yelled at you or the way I lost my, my cool on you, the way I, whatever happened, you need to come back and own, you need to let them know, hey, that wasn't about you. That was about me. Add that phrase. If you overreact to your kids, like apologize and own it, but let them know because the reality is we're carrying a lot of baggage into that parenting conversation, aren't we? It may be about your boss and the the jerk that he was previously this week, and you're still carrying that, and so one little thing happens with kids, and you blow up. If we don't also add the phrase, this is not about you, it was about me, they'll left, be left thinking, okay, I messed up, dad's sorry he got angry, but ultimately his anger was justified because I messed up. I encourage you to think about that. If you interact with your children in a way that's disproportionate to what they actually did and you're bringing other baggage into that, just let them off the hook and let them know, hey, what you did, right, you, you broke the rule. Here was the warning, here's what you did, here's the punishment. This is an expression of my love for you. I'm gonna hold to what I said because that's what good dads do. That's what good parents do. But that part where like I yelled at you or I grabbed your shirt or I, whatever, I need you to know that was not about you. That was not okay and didn't have anything to do with what you did or didn't do. That was about something else. Let your children know what to do with their mistakes by showing them what you do with yours. The ultimate aim here, parents, is not that we would be perfect. Okay? Not that we'd be perfect. Matter of fact, 
you bat 300, you make it in the majors. I'm saying if you get this right 50% of the time, more than likely you're already giving your kids something way better than what you got, okay? So we're not asking, I'm not call, it's not a call to be perfect parents. If you are perfect, fantastic, high five, go write the books. The rest of us will bomb and read them, okay? So let's just not walk out of here going, oh, now God expects me to be perfect. I'm going to screw my children up. No, no, no. It's just like aim at it, work towards it, strive towards it. Understand in those moments, like, oh, okay, this is an opportunity to reflect the image of God, to be an imitator of God and bear his image in parenting. Celebrate when you get it right. You catch your spouse doing this right or, like, or another parent, like, hey, can I just give you a hug? Like, that was awesome. Way to go. Like, point it out. Celebrate it. And give ultimately give glory to God in doing so. All right. Let's land here. When children honor their parents, we get a glimpse of the honor that we all are called to display towards God. Parents are called to instruct and correct their children in a way that nourishes and cultivates their souls. This requires parents to be patient, kind, slow to anger in the way we shepherd our children. When parents guide and love their children in this way, we get a glimpse of what it looks like to be in a relationship with a good God who is also a loving father. That's what parenting is ultimately aimed at. I'm going to end with a few questions for us to consider um, before we turn this back over to the worship team. I want you to think for just a moment, what are some of the experiences in your life that didn't go well because you didn't listen to your parents? Just think about that for a minute. I mean, even if you had crummy parents, there's a good chance they were at least trying to point you towards what was good. Can you remember some experiences? You're like, man, if I would have listened, <laughs> this would have gone so much better. Parents, when you think about your interaction with your kiddos, would your children describe your discipline as loving, kind, and patient? This is not a description to let kids off the hook. I'm just asking that when you engage in discipline, would they describe your discipline as loving and kind and patient? Children, kids, students, what are some practical things you could do this week to, like, on purpose, honor your parents? From what you've heard today, what's something you could do different this week or you could add to your interactions with your parents? What's one thing you could do to honor your parents this week? Just make a mental note or write it down and then look for opportunities to do that. And then parents, what are some steps you could take this week to reflect the image of God to your kids in the way that you instruct them and correct them? What are some steps you could take this week, just practically speaking? So we're going to end here today, and I'm going to invite um, just a minute. Our worship team is going to come out lead us in songs. Um, our prayer partners are going to be down front, like always. If something has come up today and you want somebody to pray with you, um, they're here to serve you in that way. Um, they'll be up here at the front. Um, and then after the service, if you've got questions about the church or just God's stirring something in you and you want to talk to one of our elders or pastors, um, we'll be out in the common area, this area just outside these doors. 
and all of our elders will be wearing lanyards so you can um, easily identify us and we'd, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So let me pray for us and then the band will come out. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time today to really uh, dig into this idea of parenting. But more than anything, God, we're really digging into our relationship with you. And parenting is just this earthly living metaphor of what it's like to be parented by a good, loving father. And God, in the way that we interact with our parents, the way parents interact with children, really is just meant to be a, a, a reflection of how you interact with your children, how you call us to interact with you. Father, in our parenting, could our aim be so much higher than simply a, a home that's in order, a home that has peace. Could we truly seek to honor you and reflect your goodness in our parenting? And God, in our role of being children, God, every person here is an image bearer and is one of your children. Could we think about what that means? That when we obey you, when we listen to your instruction, we are ascribing honor and value to your name. That this isn't just about how we live in our homes, it's about how we live in the world, God. And could we step into that role as image bearers and obey you and honor you because you are a good father. So Father, now we ask your spirit to move in this place and stir in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.